We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson Preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi And now, Mike Hickson There are a lot of choices that you and I make in this life Some, no doubt, are more important than others. And there are a lot of reasons why I believe that you and I ought to want to live a Christian life. When it's all said and done, from my vantage point, I believe that Christianity is the best way to go in this life. It offers the greatest hope and the greatest security. And so I want to talk to you for just a moment or two today in our study about why Christianity is indeed the way to go in this life. And the first thing that I would call your attention to is the importance of faith in Christ. When we talk about faith in Christ, we are really accentuating the personhood of Jesus. Those of us who are Christians, those of us who believe the Bible, We understand the importance of having someone and something to believe in. There are a lot of people in our world today who who are really skeptical. There are a lot of individuals in our world today, they would like someone and something to believe in. Well, you and I, we have someone to believe in. That someone is Jesus. We have something to anchor our lives to. And again, that's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As we think about Christ and the importance of having faith in Christ, because really this is where it all begins, I would first of all call your attention to some of the claims that Jesus made to the world. And what you need to understand is Jesus identified himself to those in the world as being the Son of God. Let me just give you some examples. In the fourth chapter of the book of John, we read of Jesus at Jacob's well near Sychar. And Jesus engaged in a lengthy conversation with a Samaritan woman. And the Samaritans and the Jews were, they were really enemies in many respects. They didn't have amicable dealings with one another. In John chapter 4, the Bible says that this woman herself made the statement, the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Well, during the course of their conversation, Jesus talked to this woman about her family life and about the importance of worship. But this woman makes an interesting statement. She said, I know that when the Messiah comes, he'll tell us all things. In verse 26, Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. Here's one of the times during the ministry of our Lord that he, in a very plain and forthright way, identified himself as the Messiah. That is, the Son of God, the one who was to come to to rescue people from sin and death. In John chapter 5, we have another account of Jesus talking to the unbelieving Jews of his day. And on this account, Jesus told these people, he said, Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have life. He went on to say, They are they which testify of me. And I think here Jesus simply saying that the scriptures authenticated his claims. The claims being that he was, 
indeed the Son of God. And then down in verse 46, of course, the Jews, they had a lot of, they had a lot of confidence in Moses, the great leader and lawgiver of ancient Israel. And so Jesus, again to these people, said, if you believe Moses, you would have believed me. Why? Because he wrote about me. Moses, of course, pointed people in the direction of that great prophet in Deuteronomy chapter 18, who would come, the prophet being the Messiah, the Son of God. In John chapter 8, another account of Jesus talking to the unbelieving Jews. On this occasion, Jesus said, except you believe that I am he. Now in the original, what Jesus said was, except you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. In other words, unless you believe that I am the Son of God, you'll die in your sins. And so Jesus here simply saying that he was, he is the divine Son of God. One other account, in John chapter 9, we find Jesus. And on this occasion, Jesus restores sight to a man that had been born blind. There were a lot of questions among those who lived in the first century about some of the physical disabilities and illnesses that people had in that day. And so the disciples of Jesus asked the question, who sinned, this man or his parents, because he was born blind? Well, Jesus said, neither did this man sin nor his parents. Jesus restored sight or actually gave sight to this blind man. And in the latter part of John chapter 9, here's what Jesus asked this man. He said, do you believe in the Son of God? This man responded by saying, Lord, who is he that I may believe? Jesus said, you have both seen him and it is him who is now talking to you. This man responded by saying, Lord, I believe. And so on these accounts, on these occasions, Jesus simply affirming the fact that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. So we think about his claims to the world. But notice, if you would, some of the claims from those in the world. Not only did Jesus identify himself as the son of God, but Jesus was identified by many in the world as the son of God. Let me just give you some examples. First of all, John the Baptist John the Baptist was the forerunner to the Christ. He was the one that was to prepare the hearts and lives of people to receive the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah. And in John chapter 1, John said, following the baptism of Jesus, he said, I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. John the Baptist believed in Jesus as the Son of God. And then what about Peter? We have a couple of accounts of Peter affirming Jesus as the divine son of God. In John chapter six, Jesus has a lengthy discourse in which he discusses the fact that he is the bread of life that has come down from heaven to save people from sin. And in the sixth chapter of John, the Bible tells us that many of those who were present on that occasion, after hearing all that Jesus had to say, went back and walked no more with him. And so then the Lord asked the question, will you also go away? Simon Peter responded by saying, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life eternal. And we believe and have come to know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so here the apostle Peter affirming the fact that he believed and that not only did he, but the other apostles, the other disciples believed that Jesus was the Son of the living God. I mentioned a moment ago the Samaritan woman. In John chapter 4, this woman went back to her own people. 
and told those people about Jesus. She said, come see a man that's told me everything I've ever done. Well, Jesus then had the opportunity to spend some time with the Samaritans. And their response was, now we believe, not because of what you have said, but because, in effect, they had heard him themselves. And they said, we've come to know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. And then one final person that I would appeal to would be Thomas. Thomas, as you well know, is often called Doubting Thomas because initially he didn't have the opportunity to see firsthand the risen Savior. When Jesus presented himself to Thomas eight days later, Thomas, of course, wanted to see the physical evidence. He wanted to see the prints in the hands of Jesus. He wanted to examine the side of our Lord where the spear had been thrust. And so Jesus came to Thomas and allowed him to see firsthand the evidence. Thomas's response was, my Lord and my God. And so here are some claims by those who were in the world about Jesus, the Son of God. Now we talk about the importance of faith in Christ. How do you and I develop faith in Christ? Well, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How do we become more knowledgeable about Jesus? How do we deepen our faith in the Lord? The only way I know is to read the account that is recorded for us in the Bible. We can read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they give us insight into the Son of God, Jesus, the Christ. You can go back and look at the Old Testament, all the prophecies written about him. The New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John affirm Christ has come. Acts to Revelation simply points us to the fact that the Christ who has ascended to heaven will one day come again. There's now a second thing I want to talk to you about. This has to do with forgiveness in Christ. Again, we think about why Christianity is the way to go in life. Well, first of all, we have a system of faith. We have someone to believe in. We have something to believe in. We have someone to anchor our life to, that, of course, being Jesus. But what about forgiveness? Why is forgiveness so important to those of us who belong to the human family? Well, first of all, we understand the importance of pardon, but there are a lot of people that don't necessarily understand the importance of pardon and forgiveness. But I want to begin by just talking about the danger of living in sin. I know that we live in a day and time when many people mock and ridicule the idea of sin. As a matter of fact, many years ago, there was a book written in which the question was posed, whatever happened to sin? Well, there are a lot of people that downplay the significance of sin. Some people would say that sin is just a figment of man's imagination. Well, the Bible says that sin is a reality. But what's the danger of living in sin? Let me just sum it up in one word, lost. The real danger of living a life of sin is that you're lost. The Bible talks about the danger of people ignoring God's plan of redemption. And really, it, again, it's summed up in the fact that people are lost and dying. In John chapter 8, you remember Jesus said, except you believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins. In that same context, Jesus said, if you die in your sins, where I go, you cannot come. Now, you and I, we could just step back and, and we could look at life from many, many aspects. We could ask the question, what's the worst thing that could ever happen to us? There might be a lot of things that could be 
could be bad from our vantage point that could happen to us. Let me tell you what, the worst thing that could ever happen to you would be to die in sin, to lose your soul. And that's really what Jesus is saying in John chapter 8. And the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But contrast, if you would, the danger of living in sin to deliverance from living in sin. Can we be delivered from sin? Well, the answer is yes. Let me share with you three things that we can be delivered from. First of all, we can be delivered from the power of sin. You see, what Satan wants to do is he wants to get a foothold in your life. Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 4, neither give place to the devil. All he's saying is don't let the devil get his get 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 a foothold in your life. Don't let him wedge his foot into your personal life. And there are a lot of people that have allowed the devil to rule and to reign in their hearts and lives. And as a result of that, they're in that condition we talked about just a moment ago. They're lost. They're dying in sin. Now, once Satan gets in into a person's life, he garners control. What Satan wants to do in your life and my life, he wants, he wants to regulate our lives. In other words, he wants to be the dictator, the one who controls our lives. He's a very powerful being. Now, you and I, we can withstand him, we can resist him. James would say, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. But there are a lot of people in our world today, they get caught up in a life of sin and the problem is they can't get out of that way of life. They have difficulty extracting themselves from a life of sin. The Bible talks about in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26, those who are taken captive by the devil to do his will. Listen, if the devil gets his foot in your life, he's not gonna go easily. Once he gets once he gets a hold of your life, he intends to stay in your life. Now you have, you, have, you have the ability to purge him from your life. But the bottom line is he wants to be a force in your life. He wants to gain control of your life. Now the Lord can deliver you from the power of sin. He can also deliver you from the painfulness of sin. Here's, here's what a lot of people in our world don't understand. You can choose to live a life of sin. And you may say, well, I, I enjoy living in sin. I like to do what I like to do. I like to go where I like to go. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I don't want anybody trying to tell me how to live my life. Well, that's your choice. That's your prerogative. But there are a lot of people that when it's all said and done, they come to the conclusion, you know what? A life of sin wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. Look, if you would, at Luke 15, at the prodigal son. I can just imagine the prodigal son, when he asked for his inheritance and went out into that far country, no doubt in his mind he was headed for the bright lights of the city. And he thought, you know what? I've got a pocket full of money. I'm young. I can go out and have the time of my life. But you know what? When you read Luke 15, you read about a young man who was broken by sin. The pain and the heartache that that young man experienced have been felt by many people down through the ages of time. You may be here today and your life may be marred and wrecked by sin. You know firsthand what it means to experience the pain of sin. Here's what Solomon said 
Solomon in the long ago said the way of the transgressor is hard. Now some people aren't honest and they're not going to admit that their way of life is wrong and their way of life has, has caused a lot of, of pain and heartache and sorrow. But there are a lot of folks out there that are honest. And there are a lot of folks out there that they have come to the conclusion, you know what, there's got to be a better way of life. Listen, there are a lot of people in the world and they've tried what this world has to offer. And when it's all said and done, the conclusion was this. It's not worth it. There's a third thing that the Lord can deliver you from, and that is the penalty of sin. What's the real danger of living in sin? Let me just say it as clear as I know to say it. The danger of living in sin is you're going to lose your soul. There's no other way to say it. I said a moment ago we can sum up the danger of living in sin in one word, lost. Well, Paul said the wages of sin is death. That's the penalty. Those who choose to live in sin, they face death. But Jesus offers us a different way of life, doesn't he? And so Paul would say in Romans 6.23, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Look at all of the people whose lives were transformed by Jesus. Take, for example, Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus was a murderer, wasn't he? He consented to the death of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Saul of Tarsus did a lot of bad things. And yet he had the opportunity to turn his life around. And so in recounting his conversion story, when Ananias came to him, he said, Ananias said unto long ago, and now why tarry? Why are you tarrying? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Here's what you need to understand. When you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and you obey the gospel, the blood of Christ washes away every sin. When we're baptized into Jesus Christ, we enjoy forgiveness in the most absolute sense of the word. Never again do we have to face what we've done in the past. The Hebrew writer said, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. Their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. How'd you like to be able to go forward from this day, never again having to look back at some of the things you've said and done? How'd you like to know that everything you've done in your life up to this point in time has been forgiven? That's a great thought. Well, that's what the Lord can do for you. That's why Christianity is the best way to live. There are a lot of people in our world today, they're struggling with guilt. Their lives are eaten up with guilt. And so what do they do? They turn to alcohol, to drugs, and alcohol is a drug, but they turn to other things to alleviate the pain and the suffering and the heartache of sin, and the only remedy for sin is the blood of Jesus. He is the only answer. Now, a third thing, fellowship in Christ. When we talk about fellowship in Christ, really we're just talking about the people who comprise the church. What makes being a Christian so great? Well, one of the things that makes Christianity so great is that we are a community of believers. In, in other words, we are people of like precious faith, as Peter would say in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. We belong to the family of God. Now, we have our own individual physical families, but in a broader sense, we belong to the family of God. And there's two things that I think about in connection with our fellowship in Christ. Number one, 
When you become a Christian, you belong to a body of believers who genuinely care about one another. One of, one of the things that to me is so great about this congregation is th this congregation is composed of people who genuinely care about one another. I see it every day. I see it because I know about people who are constantly calling and checking on one another. They're sending cards to one another. They're providing food for other people. I see it when they make visits. There are a lot of things that maybe the world can offer, but listen, when you belong to the family of God, you belong to a group of people that genuinely care about you. Paul would say in Romans 12, verse 15, that we have the opportunity to weep with those that weep and to rejoice with those that rejoice. We care about one another. Paul said, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Not only do we care about one another, but we share with one another. And again, I want to just talk to you for a moment about the church here. Maybe because of my position, I know, I know about certain things that, that other people don't know about. From the vantage point of, of the caring and sharing that goes on here. But I know firsthand that this congregation has done a lot to help other people. We've done what we, we could do to help people. And that's what Christianity is about. Paul would say in Galatians 6 verse 10 that we are to do good unto them which comprise the household of faith. As we have opportunity, Paul would say, let us do good unto all men, especially those which are the household of faith. James would say in James 1 verse 27 that pure religion undefiled before God and the Father is to visit to aid the fatherless and widows. Let me tell you what, there are a lot of people in this congregation and there are people in this community that have been served because this congregation, because we as a group of people, we care and we share. And that doesn't always happen in the world. There's a fourth thing I want to, I want to talk to you about. I said Christianity is the way to go in life and this has to do with your future in Christ. Did you know that if you live the Christian life, you have a future? What future do you have in the world? Well, the bottom line is, beyond this veil of tears, if you're not in Christ, you don't have a future. But if you're in Christ, you have a future. You have the promises of Almighty God. I want to just share with you two things very quickly. First of all, those who belong to the family of God, we have the promise, the reality of heaven. Is heaven real to you? I can assure you there's coming a day and time in your life when eternity will mean everything to you. It'll mean everything in the world. Last Sunday afternoon, we had the opportunity to visit Danny Treadway. As you know, Danny Treadway slipped into eternity on Friday afternoon, or Saturday afternoon, rather. When we visited with Danny on Sunday, his health was declining rapidly. He wanted to sit up on the side of the bed. And, of course, his physical condition was deteriorating. And as he sat talking, I listened intently to every word he said. I knew that Danny's time here on earth was short. And I thought, you know, when somebody's about to step out into eternity and they know that this life here is coming to an end, 
what they have to say, I want to hear. And so I hung on every word he said. I visited with him on Thursday afternoon. And by that time, his physical condition had deteriorated even more so. And he was in and out, so to speak, of consciousness. He was coherent a little bit, and then he was incoherent. But through all of that, there were some things that emerged that, that struck me. With regard to the reality of heaven, Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And if I go away to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I believe in heaven. There is the reality of heaven, but there is also the reservation that we have in heaven. I said I visited with Danny on Thursday afternoon. Danny and I, we talked briefly. We had prayer. I left the hospital around 2 o'clock or so. By 4.30, he went to sleep. He never woke up, never regained consciousness. But Danny, during the course of our conversation, he was talking about a record of something. And I really didn't know what he was talking about. Now, I'm not sure he knew what he was talking about. I don't think he did. But he kept talking about a record. Do you have a record? And I said, Danny, God has you in his record book. Your name has been registered in heaven. And somebody may ask the question, are you going to heaven? If you're a faithful child of God, your response ought to be absolutely. How do you know that? Because you've made reservations. Your reservation is in heaven. Peter said, we have before us a living hope. It's incorruptible, undefiled, it fades not away. And he said, it's reserved in heaven for you. Danny's funeral is Tuesday afternoon at 2 o'clock in this building. I don't think Danny would mind me talking about him. I want to close by saying this. Danny was baptized on July the 12th of 2011. What Danny drove to work every day doesn't mean anything. The clothes Danny wore every day, they don't mean anything. Where he lived, not significant now. You know what's significant? His relationship with the Lord. John said, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Yea, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them in Revelation 14, 13. Christianity, it's the only way to go in life. One day, you and I, we're gonna, as they say, cross Jordan, just as Danny did. We're gonna step out into eternity. And so what we're talking about today, this is real life stuff. And that's why it's so imperative that we live for the Lord. We know not what a day may bring forth. That's what Solomon said. James compared life to a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. I want to encourage you today, if you're not a Christian, obey the gospel. Don't wait, don't wait another day. There are a lot of people in our world, they like to gamble. And sometimes people gamble in, in many ways. 
sometimes they gamble with their life in an automobile. They take unnecessary chances while driving. Sometimes people gamble, physically speaking, at a casino. They risk everything that they, that they possess. Sometimes people gamble with their soul. They gamble, they're gambling, they're going to be here tomorrow. And that promise is not made in Scripture. And so if you're here today and you're not a child of God, I would encourage you, I would beg you, become a child of God. Do what they did on Pentecost Day when Peter said, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. God will then add you to the church. Acts 2, verse 47. You'll enjoy the hope of life eternal. Now, it may be that you're not living a faithful life. Maybe your life is not what it ought to be. You know it. And maybe we know it. Well, here's what you need to do. You need to come home to God. You see, you're gambling that maybe you're going to have time to get things right when maybe you do, maybe you don't. I don't know. But I suspect that there are a lot of people in eternity that thought they had time to get things right. Don't wait another day. John said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love.